Brian had to take a deep cleansing breath for this. That was a Charles Grodin level sigh that we just got there on microphone. Enjoy. Fools rushing. It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show. With Brian Christine Clay, you know. And guests who drop on by. Welcome to the Limbaugh, a show about the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Who's received it, who should receive it, and maybe a couple who shouldn't. I'm Christine Sear. I'm Clay Russell. And I'm Madison Cawthorn's re-election campaign manager, Brian Tuck. Bye, Madison. It's funny, we have like mixed feelings about this here on the podcast because obviously we, we love to see it. We love to see someone terrible uh, lose. It brings me life force. But then it's also like, it's how it happened, which was basically the Republican establishment just unleashing every bit of, what do the Russians call it, compromise that they had on him? Yeah. Like a bomb, a timed bomb. It was like, it was so fun to watch. And again, I'm not sorry he's gone, but I'm just like, you know. I will say as a gay person, I'm sad to see that him being a Nazi did not prohibit him from getting into the Senate, but him possibly being gay and wearing women's clothing, that was a line too far in the sand for the Republican electorate. <laughs> also true. Anyway, bye, Madison. I look forward to never, or like you being a, a question in bar trivia in a couple years, and we'll be like, oh, yeah. Also, I do not mean this to be flippant, but... I also think as much as I do not agree with any of his politics, other than the fact that apparently right now his sole mission is to destroy the Republican Party from the inside because he thinks they're all cowards. I do have to say, like, seeing somebody in a wheelchair make it to national office, like, that's a rarity. And it is something where, you know, it just and the idea that maybe he is queer or questioning like those are he's definitely not who i would have wanted to set forward to represent those people no but i do have to say like i think the idea that like he's out i'm kind of like uh why not lauren bobert or um marjorie taylor green they're just as bad they're they embarrass kevin mccarthy just as much they have to have compromising videos and such about them as well in a different context but like they're terrible and it's like they didn't pivot to terribleness when they ran for office like that's just who they are so never forget marjorie taylor green's husband has been accused of sexual assault multiple times so when you see her on tv talking about grooming it starts at home Mm -hmm. the call's coming from inside the house marge (laughs) i will say and i'll credit both sides of the aisle for this that it's not really talked about but greg abbott the texas governor is also disabled and that's not really part of part of the news coverage either so to be honest i didn't even know that so yeah yeah we can dislike him for all the valid reasons like his policies and the way he runs his state yeah okay so on a lighter note guys it's in the upper 80s here in new york on a saturday afternoon and it's making me think about summer so i just wanted to know what are you boys planning to do with your summer holidays? I'm going to visit my family in the aforementioned Texas. In Greg next Abbott's week. Texas. In Greg Abbott's Texas. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's cool. 
Uh, we here at the pod are big fans of Clay's family, so I would like to give a shout out to Steve and Barbara Russell because I know at least Barbara listens to the pod. Yes, shout out to Barbara. Oh my god, maybe we can record a special episode while you're there, and she could be the fifth. She could be the guest. The fifth member. The Who's f- the fourth member? Christine. Brian's dog. He's had or, as much airtime yeah. as all of us combined. That's true. Very true. And the Daft Punk wine delivery men. <laughs> Yes, with the icons. Yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of feel like we've had two bummer summers in a row. Is this going to be a bummer summer? Maybe just for a different reason than the previous two. I don't think so. This feels different to me. Right. Maybe it's just my optimism, but I think a lot of people are going to make a bit of a comeback, whereas it was so touch and go previously. Even this latest covid wave i think that the psyche of the nation has been better equipped for it uh, yeah in all areas of the country where it's like okay everyone's vaccinated everyone is being as careful as they can and they're getting tested uh this is something that we're gonna have to live with and and go with that and there's not that panic that we've had with previous strains i agree Although I can't, I think it was the Washington Post. They just, because we've passed, I mean, I think we passed it a long time ago in reality, but the official death count in the U.S. just passed a million people, which is astounding (laughs) and kind of hard to wrap your head around, which is, I think, why people in general can't wrap their heads around it because we're not good at like, it's like the same way we can't visualize like Jeff Bezos's fortune because it's so much like, 130 something billion dollars is so much more than a billion dollars and a billion is so much more than a million. Like we just can't deal with it. Yeah. It also goes to show how crazy this century has been in the United States. Yeah. That something has happened that has killed 1 million Americans. And it's like the fourth news item of the day. I know. And it's like the fourth thing in my brain every day too, which is like, I will say at my job, they sent out a notice that for people who are reporting to the office, that they were considering putting a mask mandate back into effect. And my New York City-based, pretty liberally-minded group of coworkers were like, absolutely not. If we get it, we get it. (laughs) So I also think that it's not just not being able to wrap your mind around it. I think after two years and two bummer summers, there's just such a fatigue around COVID that I just, I don't think that... People are taking it as seriously as they should. And I will paint myself with that brush because I most certainly was one of those people who was like, I'm not wearing a mask. And Brian, for those who don't know, has been to approximately 16 concerts in the last two weeks. So, (laughs) I mean, he's back, baby. All credit to the scientists that developed the vaccine. It did its job. It's a miracle. It's an actual miracle and has saved... Probably one million more lives from oh my God. being Can you imagine? that it did. Yeah. And so the fact that we were able to have this incredible thing is letting us return to a bit of normalcy. And no one is out there that's naive enough to say that we're going to beat COVID completely. Like, we're not Shanghai. No, we're, never, we're not going to do that. Yeah. And so we are going to live with it. And Credit to the scientists that developed the vaccine because it's allowing us to kind of resume a normal life that we had. Yeah. And one of the things that the Washington Post did with their coverage, which was incredibly poignant, I recommend it, but it's like you have to be emotionally ready for it. It's basically, I guess they put out a call for people who are comfortable sharing like their last text exchanges with loved ones who had passed away from COVID. And it's not what you think, guys. Like I thought it was going to be like, 
oh, I've always loved you. You know, it's a lot of people were so blindsided by either like a rapid decline or going on a ventilator and never waking up. The text exchanges that they shared are like, things are looking better, looking forward to coming home, or just like, it was sort of like, in a way more devastating to be like, wow, all of those lives that were lost, you sort of start to do the math of like, everybody that loved that person. (laughs) And -hmm. you realize like, what proportion of Americans are grieving and probably didn't get to grieve normally. Almost definitely didn't get to grieve normally. And I don't know when they will. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. wonder if that's something that's going to... Because I feel like it, that people have tried, I think, around the inauguration. Didn't the Bidens do, like, a memorial service at the reflecting pool? For 400000 if I remember. Complete with a concert of Katy Perry. Yes, Katy Perry. Mm, she's seen us through so much as a nation. She's a firework. Um, She sure is. <laughs> and, like, we keep trying to memorialize it, but it keeps not being over. And it's like, I wonder when we're finally going to get to collectively mourn the whole thing or if by the time we're at that point everyone's just going to be like it's too much like we're we're i don't know i mean based on history i don't think that there was ever a flashpoint of the 1918 pandemic really it pandemics do what pandemics do which is they gradually lessen in strength and then kind of fade away and it's part of the history books now i think that we're going to memorialize it through talking about it and remembering pretty bluntly how poorly the United States handled it. There's no other industrialized nation that had the kind of death toll that we did. And it was a flashpoint of a poor healthcare system and the culture wars. It all kind of came together and killed hundreds of thousands of people more than it should have. Definitely. But also think about how when we talk about 9-11, we talk about the... I think just under 3,000 lives that were lost that day aboard United 93 at the the few at the Pentagon and then the majority of them at the World Trade Center. And that when we hauled the memorial every 9-11 and we, you know, go to the reflecting pools and they put the flowers out, those are the people that we think about. But what about all of those people who got sick down at World at the World Trade Center site and are continuing to die day after day after day? If America hits a point where we no longer have waves, We'll, you know, be able to count our dead and memorialize them, but we won't be thinking about people who are in underdeveloped nations where corporate greed and not allowing the vaccines to be unpatented uh, have cost Mm -hmm. countless lives overseas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing a pretty depressing Petri dish happen right now in North Korea from based on the reports that we're seeing. So... Okay, okay. All right, we'll revise that. It's still going to be a little bit of a bummer summer, but like a different kind of bum than the previous two. Is mm-hmm. that fair? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I will say my little groundhog indication that we might be heading towards a bummer summer is Mariah Carey put out a single, <laughs> and it did not go to number one, and I feel like that means that we have six more weeks of bummer summer. As a uh, pop culture groundhog, Brian... Tell us about the Mariah Carey single. Did you enjoy it? Did you come out of your little cubbyhole and look around, or did you just? I was like, go "This back? is going to be Mariah's like twentieth number one." I mean, it it incorporates fantasy. It's her with a like young rap MC. There was just so many things where, and she was the feature. Whereas, like, she invented the hip hop feature on pop singles. Mm-hmm. I was like, "This is a full circle moment. We're going straight to number one," and she just didn't get there. And I was like, "This does not bode well for my summer." Is it a good song or not? 
Uh, it's, it's fun and it's like a, it's nostalgia. I mean, the person, uh, Lotto is the artist. She samples fantasy and the song from the eighties, um, that I cannot remember the name of right now. I should have done my research, but, um, genius of love by the Tom Tom club. Yes. And Mariah heard it and Mariah was like, this is awesome. And reached out and they did a remix together. So it's half fantasy, half big energy. I love that. I'm going to, as soon as we log off, I'm going to give it a listen. And I think that's going to be what Mariah needs to, to make it to number one. Yes. She needs the geriatric millennial like support. (laughs) Oh shit. Jesus Christ. First of all, I I say that as one myself. And I'm five years older than you. I can say it. I'm a cusper. I'm on the cusp of geriatric millennial or fetal Gen X. We've had this conversation before off mic. You are not Gen X because you do not remember the Challenger exploding. And I'm sorry, but that is the bar for entry. I was four years old. Everybody do the math. I kind of remember it, so I qualify. Yeah. Dave watched it live in his elementary school auditorium, so... He yeah. has he has the emotional trauma. He really earned that that Gen X bona fide. So anything else? Do we have to apologize for anything last week? What did we? Oh, I mean, we apologized live for offending any of our listeners who are racing fans because none of us knew what the hell was going on. <laughs> right. So yeah. they've either forgiven us or or they haven't. I mean, I don't think there's anything left to say about that. I even, when I posted the episode announcement on at Limbaugh Podcast on Twitter uh, and on the Instagram pages and all that, I was trying to think of some cutting joke about the Trump years. And then I was like, you know what? No, not going to go there. Just pasting it straight up. <laughs> and you refer to him as like motor legend Roger Penske. And I was like, that's yeah. great. That's right down is. the line. All right. Well, when we come back, Brian is going to do a profile of someone I had only heard of for the first time a couple minutes ago, but actually seems like kind of an interesting, interesting bird. So, so let's learn a little that more. That was not Finnegan. I, I don't want to hear it. That was not Finnegan. Whose dog was that? Mine. She's out because I thought I could trust her and apparently I can't. So she might have to go in the crate during the break. When we get back, Brian's going to give us the profile of Genevieve Caulfield. Stay tuned. So May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And as we try to do on this podcast, I decided to look through the profiles to see if I could find someone who would honor this very special month. Gotta tell you, I had pretty low hopes as we have hit our reset point with Christine's profile on carman Roger Penske, who received the honor from President Donald Trump in 2019. Obviously, representation for people of color is still incredibly low, even more so in 1963. And I find it to be especially lacking for Asian and Pacific Islanders in American culture. So I combed through the list of names, hoping that I could find someone in JFK's first and only class. And among that class of 31 recipients, I found Genevieve Caulfield. As a little disclaimer before we start, I will say there's very little about her. I was able to piece it together with some interviews I found. Her Wikipedia page is one of Clay's uh, favorite things. It's one of the two-paragraph wonders on Wikipedia where it's like, this person was alive, they died, and this is what they did. 
I think that that's almost just a bragging right on this show is when it's someone who doesn't have a photo on their profile and is you can count the number of paragraphs on one hand. But they got to party with the president in the map room. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell if and it's not for me to decide, but there is no information on whether or not Genevieve Caulfield was of Asian descent, was Asian American. And there are some photos of her, including one that's used on a radio interview that she gave to WNY Radio in 1964 that would lead you to believe she might be, but none of the other photos look like it's that person. So what I will say is this person may or may not be of Asian descent, but the reason why I continue to profile them is because they really did make uh, very significant contributions to Asian countries and especially for advancements for people with disabilities. So if anyone sees this and is like, I'm related to her and she's Caucasian, not Asian, don't come at me. I, I already <laughs> thought about this and I'm concerned, but I do think she's still a worthwhile person to highlight. Genevieve Caulfield was born May 8th, 1888 in Suffolk, Virginia. She's a Taurus. What, what? She sure is. She loves luxury. <laughs> At two months old, she was left blind by a horrific accident where a doctor put the wrong drops in her eyes, leaving her without sight. I mean, Can you imagine it gets your... better from here, but like I, like as I was writing it, I had to reframe it multiple times because I was like, this is... Dark. This is bleak. And how many children did that doctor give those eye drops to as well? Yeah, where's Just that blinding doctor? children, right? And there's so little about it. Like, there's no information. That's the only thing you get is she was left blind by this accident. It's uh, it's just I don't even think that a movie would even have a storyline like that because it's too dark. Despite her disability and the challenges that it undoubtedly brought, she attended the Overbrook School for the Blind and went on to study at Columbia Teachers College here in New York City. During her time leading up to her studies at Columbia, she begins to work with students from Japan who are also visually impaired. She learns Japanese and then later heads to Japan to teach English at a boys' school. She really takes to Japan and starts to love the culture, and she loves teaching there. In an interview, the aforementioned one from WNYC that took place in 1964, she tells the hosts that it's primarily due to two reasons. One, because she found the students of Japan to be incredibly brilliant, and because she started each new class session with a little speech that won her students over. The speech went, it's fun to deceive the teacher, play games on the teacher, all of us like to do it, I liked to do it, but really, you mustn't. In my case, it would be too easy. And the children were immediately won over by her kind of charm and her ability to kind of make light of uh, a very challenging uh, disability. She also recounted a story where she had told a student, you don't need to sharpen your pencil. This is an oral exam. And the student was uh, brought to the front of the class for a pronunciation exam, takes the exam, goes through all the pronunciations, returns to his seat, and then waited after class for all the other students to leave and then approached Genevieve and said, how did you see me sharpen that pencil? Um, so she really Ooh. has this kind of like fun, you know, kind of rapport with the children. It's very easy to see uh, that she was an incredible teacher. After about 15 years in Japan, she has a very fateful encounter, as most of our uh, profiles seem to. She meets a group of Thai expats in Japan, and during the conversation, she asks about life for blind people in Thailand. 
and is shocked when they tell her that there are no blind people in Thailand. At this point, remember, it is the mid-century, and there is, at this time, a widely held belief in many countries, not just in Asia, that children with disabilities are a source of shame, and many are kept at home for their entire life with parents believing that it is pointless to provide them an education. Disturbed by this, Genevieve focuses on fundraising for about a decade and sets out to open the first school for the blind in Thailand. When she first arrives, she is met with distrust. Uh, She's not welcome. The locals do not believe her intentions. And she eventually secures permission from the government of Thailand and opens an elementary school for the sightless. While the government gives her permission to open the school, they provide no budget. So she uses the funds she has raised, plus $800 from her own savings account, to buy a small house and the necessary supplies. Together with her Thai students, they create a Thai version of the Braille alphabet. In 1958, she receives an invitation from the government of Vietnam and opens another school in Saigon. All in all, her efforts to improve and impact the lives of visually impaired people helps further the quality of life for people in Thailand, Vietnam, and Japan. She goes on to receive the Roman Magsaysay Award, which is Asia's premier and highest prize. She is awarded it for international understanding in 1961. And on July 4th, 1963, John Fitzpatrick Kennedy introduces a new civilian award to recognize and celebrate honorees for their meritorious contributions to the U.S., the world, and cultural, public, or private endeavors, and names Genevieve Caulfield as one of three women in the inaugural class. Caulfield published her autobiography, The Kingdom Within, and died on December 12th, 1972, at 84 years old, and as per her wishes, she was buried in Thailand. Wow. So I do feel this was a little bit of a cheat for me because I already profiled Helen Keller, who advanced the uh, things for the visually impaired. And this is a woman who decided to move from a very kind of rural part of the country to a foreign land and becomes infatuated with the culture. And I just profiled Julia Child. But I saw (laughs) this woman. I knew that it was uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I loved that it wasn't just she had one impact or she created relations. I mean, she really got on the ground and did the work in not one, not two, but three nations. And you also see what the world was like when she was doing that work as well around yeah. World War II and Japan and all that. It wasn't like she was welcomed with open arms. I'm sure that she had an incredible amount of suspicion thrown her way and maybe even a dangerous environment in a couple of them. And I imagine post-World War, the idea of having to go to Americans and ask for funds to help uh, start a school for uh, blind children in Japan, especially, probably was not met with uh, open arm reception. So, I mean, she really, she picked her cause and she worked very, very hard and very, very diligently to do it. As I said, there is very little about her on the internet. So for the supplemental showdown, I was very concerned, I guess is the best way to put it, because even the interview from the radio station here in New York was transcripted by a robot, so there was no pronunciation. And I felt that while that would be very E.E. Cummings of me to give you um, (laughs) no capitalization, no periods, no commas, and see what you could do with it, I instead was very excited to see that she was listed in an op-ed piece 
for the Washington Post about how Donald Trump is an unfit president and why he is unfit to pick the Presidential Medal of Freedom that I want to point out was posted almost two weeks after the January 6th insurrection, which I don't know how much more of a clue you needed, but <laughs> hats off to this person who had uh, access hey, to Hey, this the, Trump guy, I don't know if he's on the up and up. Uh, you know, like you endured four years, two impeachments and an insurrection. And it was his last medal class that you were like, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> but I did find the first two paragraphs to be particularly related to our podcast and our little uh, weekly endeavor here. So, Brian, are you saying that that this article is almost like the cocaine orgy for Madison Cawthorn? That was just like the moment that that lost it for him? Pretty much. Yeah, this, <laughs> okay. this was it. This is the pearl necklace on the uh, cruise ship with the lingerie top. Right. Many of the names are instantly recognizable. Duke Ellington, Rosa Parks, Mother Teresa, Steven Spielberg, Martin Luther King Jr., Billy Graham, Ronald Reagan, Helen Keller, Walt Disney. Others are not as famous, but they too led inspiring lives that enriched the country and the world. Genevieve Caulfield, a blind American teacher who started a school for blind people in Thailand. Jay Clifford McDonald, owner of a U.S. printing company who worked tirelessly to expand the lives and opportunities of the physically and mentally disabled. Helen B. Tossig, a cardiologist who founded the field of pediatric cardiology that pioneered life-saving concepts for children. All were recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian award that unfortunately, thanks to President Trump's penchant for leaving no American tradition unsullied, is making headlines for all the wrong reasons. His recent decision to award the Medal of Freedom to Representative Devin Nunez of California and Jim Jordan of Ohio turns on its head the themes of honor, excellence, and achievement that undergird these precious awards. To be sure, Mr. Trump is not the first president to award the medal to people who may share their political thinking. And there have been awards, most noticeably the medal to disgrace comedian Bill Cosby, that have proved to be undeserved. But the cynical selections of Mr. Nunez and Mr. Jordan solely because of the blind loyalty to Mr. Trump and his destructive politics of lying and his earlier award to talk radio hate monger and podcast inspirational name Rush Limbaugh are affronts. Really incredible improv on that, Clay. Thank you. Thank you. I saw that Christine got up and walked away when I started. No, it's uh, there's just activity at the Sear House. Sorry. Uh, Christine, I will say you ate that up. Your Thank you so delivery much. of the names where you sped them up as they became more and more famous was, I truly was like, where did Christine go and when did Rachel Maddow get here? So oh. congratulations. <laughs> Thank you uh, so very well much. Well done. Thank you. I could literally see you say, I cover all the facts, but then like only cover the facts that I, Brian Tuft, want to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like we already discussed uh, Helen Keller, who 
Hold on. Winner Are you so? Did Christine win? I oh, I'm a competitive yeah, Christine, person. Christine has has won. <laughs> okay, Christine won. Okay, congratulations, yeah, um, Christine. Uh, let me make it clear. Thank like, you so you much. Lost. <laughs> <laughs> You did the opposite of winning. You are the Madison Cawthorn of this yes. uh, supplemental showdown. I'm discrediting the ballot machines. Make sure you focus on destroying the two co-hosts of this podcast who are cowards. I'm accusing Christine <laughs> of compromising the machines and there is fraud involved. Uh, I do not accept. I know we discussed Helen Keller, or we mentioned her already previous episode. Shout out to Helen. But she receives it in 1964. Is there anyone else who you can think of who would kind of be the contemporary of or the contemporary day version of Genevieve? I'm trying to think of someone who did a lot of outreach and cultural education about cultures that may have at one time been enemies of the United States. I'm thinking if there was a Genevieve Caulfield of... The Middle East during the War on Terror eras and someone who reached out and kind of brought people Mm. together. And as depressing as it is, I can't think of anyone. No. I In general, I can't think of a famous teacher at all. Well, maybe, I mean, I don't think what she has been doing certainly goes to that level, but I know Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, is a champion of community colleges and local generally undersung institutions that they get overlooked because it's like, well, it's not Ivy League and it's not, you know, in a lot of cases, not a four-year university, but community colleges and, and similar institutions are often like a really important, they fill in that gap for people who either can't or don't need based on the career path they're choosing a four-year liberal arts college. But she certainly hasn't physically endangered herself or bridged any sort of international gaps. But I'd like to give a little shout out to Dr. Jill Biden. When I thought about it, the person who came to mind for me was somebody who was more of an advocate for advancing the quality and opportunities for the intellectual disabled community. But it is cheating because she actually was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1984. And that would be one Miss Eunice Kennedy Shriver. Yes, we love mm-hmm. her. Famously founder of the Special Olympics. So, kind of a cop-out this week, guys. We really... <laughs> I'm always happy to celebrate uh, Dr. Jill Biden, but um, yeah, that was the only person who jumped out to me yeah. as somebody who, in her case, she was not... She did not have a disability herself, but her sister, uh, Rosemary, did, mm-hmm. and decided that she was going to dedicate her life into... Uh, you know, kind of shining a light and celebrating and providing an opportunity for uh, people like her sister. It's not necessarily a bad thing when we do these profiles that we find that they have no equal to Oh, uh, if anything, I think that makes them even more interesting. Absolutely, I agree. And the fact that, that this person did what she did, and especially in the era that she did it, absolutely, she deserves a medal. And I'm glad that we got to profile it. Like, when you inevitably get to cover somebody who went to space, because Clay is famously horny for space, I will not say the modern-day equivalent of this is, one must never have intercourse with the moon. (laughs) Um, I will not say, oh, Elon Musk is the contemporary, because he did not go to space. He had a layover at the end of the atmosphere and then came home. That's not space. 
I'm very disappointed because the next show that we do, I'm profiling someone from the Lyndon B. Johnson era, and despite him having the Space Center named after him, did not award a medal to a single astronaut, and I was ready to go for it. But I will say that in the next couple of weeks, the third season of the Apple TV show For All Mankind is premiering, which is almost an alternate history of the space race. And I see that they are introducing a character who comes about that is a hardcore capitalist who is willing to kind of go around NASA and the Russian space program. So very excited to see what comes of that show. It's recommended if no one has seen it. You are never going to forgive President Johnson for not rewarding, a, not awarding an astronaut, are you? I was ready to go. I was ready to go. And he let me go. <laughs> I love that Johnson not giving a medal to Spaceman is your version of Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon. <laughs> like, you're, like, ready to impeach him over this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They should change the name of the Space Center. Well, I look forward to seeing who you pick from the Johnson era. When... Thank you. By the way, John Glenn wasn't awarded a medal until 2012 by Obama. Like, what the f***? <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. More on that story He's as it pissed. develops. When we get back... Christine will lead us through our medals of the week. No, Clay's going to do it. It's actually me. No, I want Christine to do it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Fine. That's what we'll do. Uh, Okay. Well, as badly as Brian wanted me (laughs) to do the medals of the week... Clay is actually going to do it, so take it away. I don't want to step on your toes, Christine. Well, I won the showdown, so I'm, I'm riding high. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's at least decide on the order. Brian obviously goes last, since he, he doesn't know. Christine, would you like to go first? Do you want me I to go? I would love to. I'll go first. I actually know mine this week. I'm really excited about it. Oh, good. Okay. My pick this week is a one of the many patron saints of the podcast, Anne Hathaway. I don't know if we've mentioned her on air. We've definitely talked about how, you know, the weird backlash that she got in, what was it, 2012 when she won a slew of awards. It came true. Including the Oscar. And everyone's like, she tries <laughs> too hard. I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, she's just been doing great work since then, mostly like keeping her her nose clean, but like occasionally popping up on social media to be funny and charming. This week she's in Cannes for the film festival promoting, it's like Armageddon something, a movie with Jeremy Strong. I don't even remember who else is in it because I can't think about anything else except all the fits that Anne Hathaway's been wearing. Is this the one with the the special casting? Chastain surprise cameo, which is going to link my... Medal of the Week and your Medal of the Week. Christine. That's instantly at the top <laughs> of the Limbaugh movie list for... It's coming out this year. Is that right, Brian? I believe so, yes. As long as okay. it does we have well. that. Yeah, and we have the Diane Keaton Taylor Page movie. I feel like we're going to have a fun summer. I told you. Anyway, this is pretty simple, but it's like she looks amazing. You know, she's glowing. She's wearing incredible outfits. And there was sort of a reaction on Twitter like, oh my God, she looks exactly the same. She doesn't age. She looks amazing. And and there's that like occasional, like, why did we all hate her again? And I would like to go on record stating I never hated her. She's always been great. And I just love that like 10 plus years after the haters tried to bring her down, she just prances into Cannes looking like uh, Mia Thermopolis. Like she hasn't, like no time has passed whatsoever. 
Anne Hathaway has been in bad movies, but Anne Hathaway has never been bad in a movie. Exactly. And that's, that. that's the difference. Mm. So that's that's my girl. She gets a medal from me. I love you, Annie. I always loved you. Call me. Brian, do you want to go to link that together, or should I kind of be the meat in the middle of the sandwich? Uh, so I'll uh, go just to kind of build off of that. So Anne Hathaway is at Cannes to promote a film that is coming out in which she shares screen time with previous collaborator of Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain. And I will say, um, maybe not as big as fan as Clay is, but I have always counted myself as a very big Jessica Chastain supporter and fan. And I have to say, in all of my time supporting Jessica since she burst on the scene in like 2010, 2011, there has been no more deadly or dangerous presence than one Miss Amy Adams, who I'm giving my medal of the week to this week. Whenever you would bring up Jessica, they'd be like, oh yeah, she was in Enchanted or she was in American Hustle. And you'd have to be like, no, 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 no. That's the other um, Oscar nominated redhead, Amy Adams. Mm -hmm. The one that's in Jurassic World, right? Yes. uh, Ron Howard's daughter, Mm -hmm. Amy Adams. Yeah. But uh, this year, in the lead-up to Jessica Chastain iconically winning her Oscar for the eyes of Tammy Faye, Amy Adams decided that she was going to enter her flop era. And she gave us The Woman in the Window, Dear Evan Hansen. And this week, it was announced that she will be starring in a movie called Night Bitch, directed (laughs) by Marielle Heller and released on Hulu. And the best way for me to discuss this movie would be to tell you, pretend I'm Alec Baldwin as Jack Donahue, and I'm going, it's called Night Bitch Lemon, a (laughs) neo-horror thriller starring Amy Adams, who is convinced she's turning into a dog. And I just... Is that really what the movie's about? That's what it's about, yeah. Great name, um, though. Night I don't bitch. know if it's going to become the Night Bitch Cinematic Universe. <sighs> and at the end credits, she's going to have to face off against Day Bitch. But <laughs> I love Amy Adams. I think she's incredibly talented. Beautiful. Um, but I yeah. just, yeah, like I just, I need her to fire her agent or read the script before she signs on. Because while I do think Mariel Heller is an incredible filmmaker, the idea, like this movie, will be the oh she's the that's the movie where she thinks she's becoming a dog. It's it's Teen Wolf with Amy Adams, and like I just I want better for you. Me too. So that's a Limbaugh this week. Well, and no, it's it's me giving Amy Adams an award. She's been nominated for six Oscars and is left empty-handed each time. I want to give her an award. I want to I want to foster that that confidence. Mm, I want her. This to, is, this is encouragement. Be, yes. Yeah. I want her to come back to us. Right. Uh, you you also, want her, her to do the other movie right. she's putting out this year is the Enchanted sequel, which is going straight to Disney Plus. And oh. she is the only thing that I've seen about it so far is it's her dressed as a villain with Maya Rudolph. And you know I love Maya Rudolph, but I was just like, this doesn't look like where's Susan Sarandon? Like you know, I, we, yeah. we need we need stars of your magnitude, Amy. You're a movie star. Yeah, <laughs> act like it. That's all I'm asking. Should she do like a prestige television show? Is that the is that a good like? She did. She did sharp objects. Yeah, she, which was good. It was good. You know, I love a little Munchausen's by proxy. <laughs> the pain in your voice <laughs> when you just said that. She did sharp objects, <laughs> and yeah. it wasn't enough. 
Clay, you want well, to take us this home? Is, this is the Amy Adams support group. None of us we love don't you. like Amy Adams. of the week Adams. is going to Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. For having to pretend she likes Chris Pratt for five years. Yeah. Tonight marks the conclusion of the 47th season of Saturday Night Live, and there is a very big departure that was announced last night. And I'd like to, to spotlight this person. Uh, Christine and I, when we worked together, were huge fans of her. Kate McKinnon, no! after 10 seasons. This is her last episode of no, Saturday Night Live tonight. It yes. is not. It is. And I think that that she, uh, I, in my opinion, consider her to be the greatest female cast member of Saturday Night Live history. I think that she's been better than Kristen Wiig. I think she's Mm. been better than Gilda Radner. She's someone who (laughs) is... uh Brian just left. Brian's gesturing wildly. He left. He's gone. He's left the city. He's He's not even going to argue. Yeah. Yeah. Live she, from New York, it's Clay's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I think that this is good. What, Brian, do you have a rebuttal on this? No, I, I, I'm not. I'm just busting your chops because I feel like Gilda Radner is such a unique. She uh, is. Once in a lifetime talent and she died. So like maybe we don't besmirch her, her good name. I am a huge <laughs> Gilda Radner fan, but I do think that Kate McKinnon tops her, even Gilda Radner. She uh, is a consummate professional. She uh, has no social media. And uh, I think that she is going through a bit of a dip in her career right now, especially when we're seeing the Tiger King thing that she did. But maybe she will have a career like a Dana Carvey and like a Gilda Radner where she just was an incredible presence on Saturday Night Live. And I think that as the news stories come out in the following weeks, we'll get to really see the impact that she made on everything, whether it was during the 2016 election uh, or just her, her outspokenness on uh, just being an openly gay person on a highly visible television show. She absolutely made an impact on Saturday Night Live, and I'm sure that there will be many articles to be written forthcoming, but my medal goes to Kate McKinnon. So I want to let everybody know about, so when Clay and I worked together, we were in Rockefeller Center and the cast were just like, that's just like where they work. Like, I know it seems weird because they're like in this weird fame adjacent world, but they just like have to like get to Rockefeller Center by mid afternoon to start their day. And there was one time Clay and I were walking through the plaza and Kate McKinnon walked by us and it was like, I know she's not attracted to men, but she did a double take and she looked right at Clay and then Clay had an out of body experience and literally he was walk, we were walking single file and he like shook me like a Guatemalan nanny and was like, did you see that? <laughs> she looked at me and I was like, no, I saw it. She looked at you. Like, I melted. She, yeah. I absolutely melted. It was yeah. like we were going to get coffee and he didn't even need it because he was like levitating around New York City after that. And I yeah. have to say, she's very pretty in person. She has these bright blue eyes, and it's, I think, she reminds me of Amy Poehler a little bit. Like, she's not afraid to get ugly for comedy. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying she regularly looks ugly on SNL, but it was like, when I just saw her in the context of, like, her just being a person walking around, I was like, wow, she's really pretty. Yeah, she hasn't necessarily made her breakout performance yet outside of the confines of SNL. 
But I hope that she does get there. And even if she doesn't, she is absolutely a legend in Saturday Mm. Night Live history. Yep. So I will say my favorite cast member, not even female cast member, of Saturday Night Live of all time is Molly Shannon. And Mm. I would not be surprised if Kate has a similar career trajectory post-SNL to Molly Shannon, where because she's such a unique comedic presence and has such a... I don't want to use unique, a distinct uh, voice. I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of a struggle to kind of like put her in everything mainstream for a while just to, you know, it's like, oh, it's Kate, we got to get her in it. And then it may take a while for them to kind of realize like, no, she's better suited for, you know, uh, Molly Shannon recently has had incredible turns in the other two on HBO, White Lotus also on HBO. Like she's really started to get her her flowers and people are really starting to kind of realize how to best utilize her. And I wonder if unfortunately we're gonna get some more Joe and Carol's exclusively on Peacock before we get uh, the great Kate McKinnon post SNL work. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I look forward to her eventual triumph, however long it takes. Yeah, actually, uh, it's going to probably be a pretty memorable show tonight. Natasha Leone, we're all fans of hers through what Russian a concept. Wall, she's she's hosting. It's Japanese Wait, breakfast. Am I going to watch SNL tonight? And uh, this is get this is the list of everyone having their last show tonight: Kate McKinnon, A.D. Bryant, Kyle Mooney, and Pete Davidson. Because Pete Davidson was the one that hit broke first, and then it came out that it was also A.D. Bryant, Kate, and. Call me that sorry to that man, I don't know him. Um He's all he's all like of them are strong, all of them are good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I do remember last year when Kate and AD were like, We're coming back. Like it was like news because and everyone breathed a sigh of relief because it was rumored last year that they were gonna yeah. leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I might actually watch tonight. Wow. Yeah, it's gonna be a hell of a show. Because I usually just see like the highlights the next day on social media, but this I might actually watch this one. Mm-hmm. Send me some videos. Grandpa will probably be in bed. <laughs> I also, we're probably getting rid of cable pretty soon, so I might as well enjoy this opportunity to watch live television. Ooh, hold on. This is a good conversation. What are you What are you keeping? Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus. No HBO? HBO Max, yeah. No Apple TV? I don't think so. Okay. Well, when the listeners buy you a new laptop through our GoFundMe, you get a year of Apple TV Plus for free for buying a new computer. All right. right. We have that to look forward to. You can finally watch Ted Lasso. Is that where it is? Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. why it's never, like, come up, and I just hear people talk about it. All right. No, they've they've made a move. Severance is good. I'm finishing that right now. I've mentioned For All Mankind. That's that's a great show. So they're, they're getting some stuff. All right. Just don't be stupid. Don't watch the morning show. Yeah, don't do it. I've I've heard it's subpar. It's the most expensive screensaver I've ever seen. (laughs) Uh, Well, we made it through a chaotic Saturday afternoon recording, guys. Yeah, cement mixers, barking dogs, and Brian vehemently disagreeing about Kate McKinnon. So, yeah. Next week, I'll be recording live from my new patio. So you'll have to compete with birds, my screaming neighbors... Fantastic. I can't wait to edit that. And the sound of a frozen <laughs> margarita machine in the background. <laughs> yeah. A gentle humming. <laughs> uh, don't forget to follow us at Limbaugh Podcast. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>